Welcome back, everyone, to the Six Figure Social Worker Podcast. It's your girl, LA. I am your Six Figure Social Worker. I am back. I am back. You guys, during this holiday season, it has been really busy, but I have not forgotten about you. But I have something special for you guys on this episode. I want you to listen in on a conversation that I am having with my husband. We have been talking and planning and looking for the next venture and the next opportunity to help others become six-figure social workers. So I want you to listen in. My first question would be to you, my love, is what inspired you to believe that six figures was possible when you really wanted to help individuals as your basic cause? Hmm. Well, um, I guess I really didn't look at it like six figures was possible as a social worker as much as once I got there, I realized that it was something I needed to share with other social workers. So one of the things I would like to come to an understanding that basically a social worker is what? A social worker is one who provides service, who advocates, who um, meet people where they are, who preserve the dignity and the worth of every individual. And that's what social workers are. We advocate, we equip, we inspire, we assist, we are change agents, if you will. So in you being a change agent, and being a six-figure social worker was not the priority. So in other words, you became successful by providing the service. And by providing the service, you encountered another aspect that you can get the benefits, but service being the main source or the main function that you was trying to do. Absolutely. So I began to chase... Um, being effective, ways to be effective, ways to impact positive change. And in chasing that, the income kind of face follow me, you know, and chase me down. And I think a lot of times we get into the field and we don't even get into the field seeking money, right? Because you'll hear a lot of social workers say, okay, well, I'm not in it to, you know, for money. I'm in it to change lives, right? And so even with me starting this Six Figure Social Worker podcast, I wanted to encourage individuals to know that you really can make a living while you're making a difference. And that was the motive behind, you know, this whole Six Figure Social Worker podcast. Wow. So in other words, you found out after you had already made six figures that you were actually making six figures. So in other words, the you wasn't you wasn't money counting. You was just providing services and as you begin to provide more service and, and people begin to reap the benefits of your service, you turned around and found out like, wow, man, I just made six figures. Is it, any, is it anything dealing with that? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you know, I realized that I had some hurdles to jump over. Like I didn't just, you know, get my degree, get my master's degree, and then found myself in a position where I was making six figures. What do you mean? I had to um, be faced with an exam that 
I failed twice. You know, I, I was. That. You remember that, <laughs> right? Remember that. You know, I failed twice. <laughs> I, I remember taking you there. That you. Right. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I didn't want to go back. You know what I'm saying? I thought I had it for me to, you know, fail the first time by like two points, and then the second two time, yeah, you know, the second time by seven points. So you know, I was really discouraged. So what was the difference? The difference in what? What was the difference in the two points where you were right there? Go back and think that you had it and studied and studied and studied and went back and did worse. Right, right. What was the one thing that you counted on that allowed you to pass the test? Because I'm going to tell you, I would have been discouraged. Well, no, I didn't pass it the second time. It took the me third the third time. time. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Y'all said you took the test on two times and right. you missed it by two two points and then you studied, studied, studied and went back and missed it by more. Right. Why did you do that? Why? What made you what made you fail the second mm. time? Well, I believe the thing that made me fail the second time is because in my mind, I'm thinking I only missed this, the test by two points. Mm-hmm. So I just need to study a little harder. And so what I did was, you know, I had my my study materials out and, you know, I was up late and I was studying a little harder because after all, I just I just failed by two points. So when I went and took it again and I fell by more, I was like, okay, what is going on? Now I began to question me, my knowledge. I began to question like my capabilities, you know, because I'm like, wait, hold on. So it was a shock that the first time, the very first time I set for the test that I had only failed it by two points. So that was like, okay, that was a fluke. Something went wrong, right? So it caused me to continue to dive into studying. But after I failed it the second time, I'm like, wait, hold on. That it scared me, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I, I something wrong because I'm studying. I got this thing broke down, but it's something wrong. And what I realized is that I didn't understand how they were asking the questions. Mm. Explain that. Well, I didn't understand how they were asking the questions. And so there were some questions that said I wanted to they wanted to know the best. Right. And so what was the best thing to do? What was the first thing to do? And so a lot of the questions was uh, something that was good to do. But they wanted to know what. No, but what was the best based on this this thing or this stream of questioning? Right. Yeah. And what I found is so many times I would read into the question more than was actually in the question. Based on me already working in the field. And I think that was one of the biggest problems I had to overcome. One of the things, if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that you were overqualified (laughs) because you were actually applying skill knowledge or practical life application to your patients or to your clients. And the test was asking you, where would you start from? You had already knew and went to the end of the question instead of just meeting the question phrase face on. Well, I'm not sure if I would actually say that, right? I think what happened was I was answering the questions from my experience with the agency that I was at. So for example, if it was a question about assessments, because I was at an agency that when a client come in, the very first thing we do is the intake and then we do the assessment. 
You know, but the question is saying, what's the first thing? Well, you need to rule out some stuff first, you know, before you get to referring someone to your program, you need to rule out any medical issues, you know, and that was the thing because I had already been working in a behavioral health organization where we did assessments first, Mm -hmm. then we referred them to our program, you know, so in my mind, I was only thinking about what I had been practicing and what I had been practicing was limited to the agency that I was serving at that time. And so in other words, what you're saying, the book knowledge when you're studying for the test is best, not comfortably policy. Exactly, exactly. It's not limited to your own work experience. Cause this, and I used to think that the test was tricky, but it's not tricky. We're literally juggling lives in our hands and they want to make sure that we're not kind of cookie cutter people into just our agency experience that we have a broad perspective as it relates to handling the lives of individuals but that was one hurdle i absolutely had to overcome before i could even think about increasing (laughs) income let alone six-figure social worker you know there was things i had to overcome like i had to overcome my pride Uh i had to overcome my fear of going back to take the test again Uh i had to overcome all of that i remember i remember because you said if you mess up again, it'll be, what, six months or a year oh, yeah. before you could take it again. Yeah. And so I know that that was added pressure right. to that scenario. Right. And yeah. so what do you say brought you through? Once more, what do you say you brought you through <laughs> for the third time that you when you took it? What brought you through? What brought me through? Yeah, what brought you through? I'm not, I think really what brought me through is, first of all, is because I had opportunities waiting for me. For real, I had opportunities waiting for me. Like I had a position literally that was based on my ability to pass this test. So holding on to that opportunity or having that opportunity in front of me and then going against my fearfulness of not passing and then doing whatever I needed to do to prepare myself to pass. Cause I knew it wasn't the studying part. Cause I had done that twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first test, right? <laughs> and the second time I took the test. So it wasn't the yes. studying part that I didn't have down. It was understanding, literally understanding how they were asking the questions. And once I got that down, it was good. Like literally I went in like prepared, like ready. And I'm gonna tell you though, when I sat for the third time, I was afraid because I had questions, still had leftover questions when my time was almost up. So then I just said, you know what, man, I got to just answer these questions because my time is up. Most likely I'm going to fail. And when I seen it said pass, I was like, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so now when in that scenario, when you run out of time, mm. there's a possibility that in my experience of uh a test taking, mm-hmm. uh, you pick one column and stay in it. It's best to get mm-hmm. three right out of 10 than to go A or B or C or D and miss all 10. Mm-hmm. Usually in your test taking patterns, more than likely your columns are going to at least include out of every 10, at least three questions that's going to fall in that block whether you know an answer or not. Mm-hmm. So when you get to that time frame where you only got the one minute, just pick our A column or pick a B column or pick a C column or a D column. That's funny. And just go all the way down because if you're on that on that brink, usually three out of the 10 is going to fall in one of those columns. Your thing 
It's just to pick one college. Yeah, and I believe that's what I did. I believe that because um, when you said that, I began to think back because at the end of the day, I knew I had, I don't, I can't remember how many questions I had left, but I knew I had minutes <laughs> remaining. Mm -hmm. And so I just went and I just said, you know what? Because at that point, to be honest with you, I was kind of discouraged. Because I'm thinking, here I am now. I took a break because that was one of the things they told us to do that I knew I hadn't did the first two times. And so I took a break thinking, wow, I got all this time left. But then once I sat back down and got the answer and the questions, my time was running out. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I still have so many questions, mm -hmm. you know, left. And so that was one of the things. But what, the thing that really helped me was understanding how they were asking yeah. the questions. Yeah. And that was the thing. And once... I did that. Like, I am not ashamed to tell people that I, it took me three times. Because at the end of the day, I'm a six-figure social worker now. <laughs> at That's the end of the day. about the bar you know? It may take you once, twice, three times. Yeah. But guess what? You a lawyer. I, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly, the bottom line. Exactly. To accomplish. I've never been to a job interview or had a, you know, um, contractual agreement with the agency. And they wanted to know how many points that I passed the examination by or uh, how many times did it they take? They just want to know what? They just want to know do I have the letters. Ah, there it is. You girlfriend. know, they just want to know is. do I have the there letters. There it is. So I just encourage that's what the point of this podcast is is really just encouraging individuals who have stepped into the field of social work to know that you absolutely can make a living while you're making a difference. Again, I just want to pause right here and just thank you guys for tuning in, let you know that I am here and I have not forgotten about you. I wanted you to just listen in on a conversation that my husband and I we're having and I wanted to take the opportunity to allow you guys to listen in to let you know that there's no magic tricks there's no magic formula other than your willingness to continue to persevere your willingness to humble yourself to seek help to get guidance in this process I believe social work is one of the best fields that's out there it's a field that absolutely goes in line with my core values so I don't feel like I have to um, you know, dummy down my integrity or my core values in order to dominate in this field. It is my core values that's actually pushing me higher and higher in this field. Um, I refuse to manipulate a client or um, participate in any unethical things for money. And it's in that, that true, authentic, belief that I have that I believe is um, putting me in a position to help other people. At the end of the day, you do not have to sacrifice your integrity in order to dominate in the field of social work. We are the mouthpiece. We are the ones who advocate for the voiceless those who are unheard, those who are experiencing injustice. That's who we are. And I would be amiss to um, not inform you. That you do not want to get in the field. connected with an agency and allow 
your core values to be compromised. What would happen? Hmm. What would happen? What would happen what? If you allow your integrity or any place, anyone to throw you out of balance with your integrity, is it a possibility you can use your licensure? Absolutely. Here's the thing. What I realize is that the agency may stay up, right? The agency may continue to operate. But if your license is suspended or revoked, you have nothing. Like you went to school for all these these years. You obtain your master's degree. You go through the two-year supervision. You go through the gruesome, you know, um, test for some people only for you to get land a job at an agency that wants you to compromise your integrity. I will not do it. I will not do it. And I promise you, there's enough need out there for you to be a solution to someone. So at the end of the day, don't compromise your integrity just because you're currently in a position that may be paying your rent, that may be paying your bills. Do not compromise your integrity. And with that being said, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Six Figure Social Worker Podcast. It's your girl, LA. I am your Six Figure Social Worker. I look forward to sharing with you the wisdom, the knowledge, and the understanding that I have gleaned through my years of experience in this field. Once again, you can make a living while you're making a difference. Stay tuned. I look forward to talking with you next week. Welcome back, everyone, to the Six Figure Social Worker Podcast. It's your girl, LA. I am your Six Figure Social Worker. On this episode, I will once again be sharing with you some sample questions that um, to help prepare you for the examination. Now, these questions are not approved by the ASWB. But these are some sample questions that I review over the years and um, some that I've made up just to help you really process how you're thinking and what areas you may need to um, focus on. So here's the first question. A client comes to you reporting that he has been feeling down for the past two years. The client reports that he has difficulty sleeping and as a result has little energy and can't concentrate, which has affected the performance of his job. The client does not report any other symptoms. According to the DSM, the client will most likely be diagnosed with which of the following disorders? Major depressive episode, that's A. B, bipolar disorder, C, dysthymic disorder, or D, major depressive disorder recurrent. So it's a client that comes to you reporting that he has been feeling down for the past two years. Some of the symptoms, the client has been having difficulty sleeping, and which results in little energy and can't concentrate. Um, it has affected his performance at his job. And he doesn't report any other symptoms. So the client will most likely be diagnosed with which of the following disorders? A, major depressive episode. B, 
bipolar disorder, C, dysthymic disorder, or D, major depressive recurrent? The answer is C. The answer is C, dysthymic disorder. So, at initial glance, the client appears to be depressed. However, the full criteria for major depressive episode, which was answer B, and major depressive disorder, which was answer D, have not been met. The client does not report any other symptoms such as weight loss, loss of interest or pleasure in activities, or feelings of worthlessness. The question asks what is most likely to be the client's diagnosis, and therefore, dysthymic disorder is the best answer. The client does not report any symptoms of manic or mixed episodes, elevated mood, and therefore, bipolar disorder is not the correct answer.